Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. Our, our scripture for today is from Genesis chapter 6. That's Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for doing our reading today. Appreciate that. So after preaching this sermon last night and then watching myself online this morning while having breakfast, maybe like you were doing um, <laughs> yeah, during Zoom, uh, I realized, you know, there are feel-good sermons and there are do-good sermons. I go, well, this is definitely not the feel-good sermon, but it's definitely the do-good sermon. So if you leave here and you don't feel better than when you came in, um, that might be okay. You might say, uh, Pastor, I appreciated that sermon, but you may not say, Pastor, I like that sermon. Or you may say, Pastor, I like that sermon. I don't know. Yeah, well, you let me know. Or don't let me know. When you send that email to Pastor Josh about reckless love, just include something about the sermon. <laughs> uh, let's pray together. Lord, we proclaim that you are our shepherd, and you are. But Lord, it's easier to say that sometimes than it is to actually follow you and go exactly where you go and do exactly what you want us to do. And so, Lord, that's why we're here. We're here to hear from our shepherd, to hear him call our names, and to follow him wherever he leads. We would ask for the Holy Spirit to speak through me, not my opinion, but your truth, that you would use my gifting, my study, but your truth as well to shape our lives into conformity with the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we continue to pray for our friends locally and globally who are struggling. Some are in this room going through extremely challenging times and we pray, Lord, that they would find you as their shepherd to watch over them, even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you will comfort them. Lord, may you hear our prayers, and may you answer them according to what is best. And may we give you glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Times have changed. Times have changed dramatically. And they've changed dramatically in my own lifetime. Uh, I grew up in that era where you were fortunate if you had a black and white television. And I remember that we had a, a black and white television. And at that time, there were three stations on the television. You had three choices. And I'll say them in alphabetical order, so I'm not giving any preference to anyone, but you could probably say them with me. There was ABC, 
CBS and NBC. And most of you are too young to even realize that. But we had three stations. You could not record them. You had what was called a TV guide. So you knew when something was coming out. It came, you know, early in the week and you would get it maybe in your Sunday paper or buy it at the the stand when you checked out at the, the supermarket and you would check all the shows you wanted to watch and the family would have to agree because you only had one television and the family usually watched television together and usually watched what dad wanted to watch (laughs) you know and and we had a remote control it was me I went up there and I had to change the channel and get the volume now I was the remote control that's how it worked dad told you what to do and one of our favorite shows to watch as a family was a family situation comedy and it featured a young inquisitive and also often naive little boy and he was about my age and his name was Beaver and the name of the show was Leave It to Beaver and Leave It to Beaver contained a nuclear family. A nuclear family is not one who's been nuked, of course. (laughs) A nuclear family is a family where you have a husband and wife who love each other, and you have children from that marriage that love each other in there. In this particular case, you had a husband, and his name was Ward, and you had a wife, and her name was June, and you had two little boys. You had Wally, and you had Cleaver, who was known as the Beaver. And the family got along well, and they loved each other, and they'd have some drama during the episode, but within 30 minutes, all the drama of the family would be completely remedied and taken care of, and everybody would go to bed happy and loving one another. And June was a typical mom. She cleaned the house and cooked in a beautiful dress with pearl necklace, and if I remember correctly, usually high heels. And dad was a typical dad. He came home from work and he wanted to relax. So he took his sport coat off, kept his tie on and his sport shirt, didn't even loosen the tie and put on a sweater so he could relax. And because they're on the mainland, they left their shoes on, which when you watch it now, it's like, oh my goodness, they left their shoes on, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and if there was a rare shot of the master bedroom, you saw that there were twin beds correctly social distanced. <laughs> And mom and dad were in full-length pajamas, and I can't remember, they might have even been under the covers in their separate beds. And plots of these shows included predicaments that a little boy in the era of the 50s and 60s might experience. These are real episode titles. Tire Trouble. Wow. (laughs) Teacher Comes to Dinner. Oh my goodness, you can imagine the tension. Beaver finds a wallet. Ward's golf clubs. You can just imagine how provocative these shows must have been. (laughs) Well, fast forward to 2020, where you can't even begin to count how many shows and episodes and things that you can watch at any time of the day. And you can watch it on screens as large as your living room Uh, wall or as small as the screen on your phone in your pocket and the raunchiest filthiest stuff can be streamed right into your living room and right into your brain and right into the little brains of your children and your grandchildren times have changed I grew up in a time where even in the secular world 
Talk of divorce was hush-hush. Couples living together before marriage was considered a scandal, even among non-Christians. Fast forward to 2020, where Netflix has recently put out a movie that's controversial called Cuties. It's disgusting, and it's so sick that a Texas grand jury is bringing criminal charges against Netflix, stating it's because of the promotion of lewd and visual material depicting a child. Just like same-sex marriage became legal in America by a court order, the Supreme Court, in 2015, groups are now championing for polygamy, pedophilia, and zoophilia to also become legal in America and to become mainstream. The world seems to be getting sicker and sicker. But is it? Is it really getting sicker? America? Well, I'd say certainly it is. I've watched it. The more America, our nation, departs from Judeo-Christian roots and biblical morality, the sicker it gets. But the sick and evil immorality that we're seeing in America has existed throughout the world, throughout generations. All you have to do, and I don't actually encourage you to do this, is to look at the art and the sculpture of ancient civilizations like the ancient civilization of Greece. And it is pornographic, the things that are painted on their vases. And they even include some of these pornographic things as part of their worship and of their gods. And although American Christians are hopefully sickened by what's happening in America and the progression of immorality that's become mainstream, God's heart has been sickened by these things since the beginning of mankind. We've begun a new sermon series entitled A World in Crisis, and I'd like to review before we move on. You have an outline that's available to you there in your bulletin, or if you grabbed one on your way in, you may want to take it out and let's review a few things. We saw in our first sermon that you redeem this season, this epoch that we're in, right now. You redeem it when you follow God's plan. You follow God's plan. We can redeem this COVID-19 situation. And that's talked about in Ephesians 5.16. And then the next sermon, I actually reminded you what God's plan is. Number two, God's plan, as made clear in Romans 8.29, is for you to be like Christ. That is the plan that he predetermined. Before the foundation of the world, his plan is for us to look like Christ, to be conformed to the morality of Jesus Christ. And then we also saw in that sermon that when you conform yourself to God's plan, it can be risky. We'll do it anyway. Life is risky. Live anyway, even though it's risky to live for the Lord. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's going to live for Christ even if it led to his death. And today we come to our third message in our series, A World in Crisis. And I'll mention if you missed those other ones, they're available online. You can hear them either audio through our podcasts or see them on YouTube or our FaceTime if you want to see the video. But today we come to A World in Crisis, Immorality Goes Mainstream. 
When I was in seminary, before many of you were even born, perhaps, <laughs> there were no classes telling us as new pastors how to deal with a same-sex couple who would come to your church and want to go to the new members class and would want to take your children to your Sunday school class and who would want to attend the young marriage class. When I was in seminary, there were no classes on how to counsel a family whose son wants to become a daughter and whose daughter wants to become a son. Why? Because no one imagined that those things would become mainstream in society and in the church. I'll give you another example of how things have gone mainstream and maybe we haven't even noticed. Most of you know, most of us know, that the number one cause of death in America is heart disease. It kills more people than all the cancers put together. And although we all know this, and although this is published everywhere, it simply isn't true. The number one cause of death in America is not heart disease. And it hasn't been true for almost half a century. You know, well, I didn't know that. Well, I know. <laughs> I didn't either. Texas pastor and author, Dr. Jim Dennison, a name you might want to write down, and Dennison has one N and one S, and he has a daily article that you can get on the Internet, and he talks about the news from a nonpartisan viewpoint as best as he can, but he just mentions what's going on. Jim Dennison, Texas pastor, recently wrote an article online entitled, Abortion is a Leading Cause of Death in America. And he points out, using statistics from the year 2017, he points out that in 2017, there were roughly 862,000 abortions in the United States. And he picked that year, I'm not sure exactly why, but it happens to be the lowest year since Roe versus Wade. So that's the lowest number. He didn't pick the highest number. 862,000 abortions in the United States in 2017. That same year, 2017, he points out there were over 647,000 deaths due to heart attacks or heart disease in America. So here are the two numbers. 862,000 abortions, 647,000 deaths due to heart disease. Clearly, abortion killed many more Americans than heart disease. Ever since the infamous decision of Roe v. Wade in 1973 that made abortion legal in the United States of America, abortion has been the leading cause of death in America. But abortion has become so mainstream that not only is it not considered immoral, we don't even count it as a death. Think about that. By the way, you might find it interesting to know by comparison, at the time I was writing this sermon earlier in the week, there had been 1,120,000 deaths worldwide attributed to COVID. So just a little bit over a million deaths. During that exact same period of time, worldwide, according to the World Health Organization, 
there have been over 34 million abortions. 34 million versus 1 million, roughly. You are more likely to die in your mother's womb in America than you are of COVID. And yet most Christians are more afraid of COVID and dying of COVID right now and are talking about dying of COVID than they are about the precious life in a mother's womb. That is immorality going mainstream. And we might think that we are at the worst. We're nowhere near it. The first was the worst. In what is called or can be called year one, (laughs) when God created the world, he handmade the first man and the first woman, and he made them morally pure. No moral defect, no moral spot or wrinkle, no blemish, but they were given a free will. They were given a choice. They could choose morality or they could reject morality. Morality is doing what God says. Immorality is going against what God says. And they had a choice. We all have a choice. It's we have free will. And because of their immoral decision and because of the immoral decisions of their descendants after them, the world became so immoral The world was in such a moral crisis that God directly intervened in the world. We Christians often, and perhaps somewhat naively, pray for God to intervene in our world, in America, because we're worried about its progression into immorality. Be careful what you pray for. In the book of Habakkuk, that's a book in the clean section of your Bibles. It's a little three-chapter book that talks about the immorality of the world. And the world had gotten so bad in, in Habakkuk's world, in his nation, the nation of Judah, that he cried out to God and said, God, do something. And God said, I will. And God did something, and Habakkuk said, whoa, I didn't mean that. <laughs> because God brought in the, the Chaldeans who were sicker than the Judeans to judge the nation. Be careful what you ask for. According to biblical chronology, that's a chronology that God gives us in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Genesis, so we can date things. God was very specific in Genesis chapters 5 and later on, so we can see the chronology of when things happen. According to God's chronology, in the year 1656, Anno Mundi, abbreviated AM. Anno Mundi means year of the world. So 1,656 means the 1,656 year after God created the world. So in the year 1656, after God created the perfect couple, the world was so corrupt, so immorally wicked, that God decided he had to destroy it. That's how bad it got. Look with me at Genesis chapter 6. Verses 5 and 6 in your Bibles or your devices if you have them with you. Genesis 6, verse 5, or you can read it on the screen behind me, <laughs> which isn't working today. I just, just seeing if you're paying attention. 
Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, the immorality of man, was great on the earth, and that, notice these words, every intent of the thoughts, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intent of the thoughts, evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Immorality breaks God's heart. As bad as some people may feel, you may feel America has become, we still have a majority of good people. We have unbelievers who still love their children, who still want things to go well in society. I have good neighbors on either side of me, and as far as I know, they don't have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they give me chocolates at Christmas, and they say hi to me, and they thank me for picking up leaves on their yard that's by my yard, and we wave, and we get along, and I don't think they're sitting in their, their houses going, hmm, how can we get back at Perry, you know? I mean, their thoughts are not constantly evil. We have good people who care for other people, who sacrifice for others. Even if they're not Christians, they sacrifice for others. We have people who want to do good, who don't want to hurt other people. They love their children. They love their grandchildren. They care about the environment. Good people. They may be deceived in areas by the devil's lies, but generally they are nice people. But in Noah's day, that was not true. Every intent, every intent, Everything they wanted to do or think about was rotten, was evil, and that was continually. I can't imagine. It literally would have been hell on earth. It is God's mercy that he wiped that world away. The first was the worst. Let's continue to read, picking up in verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I have made them. If you're taking notes, write this down. Remember, number one, God has his limits. God has his limits. You can push God too far. Now, please first hear what I am not saying. You can quote me and be upset, but don't misquote me and be upset, okay? <laughs> what I am not saying, I'm not saying God's patience is limited. I'm not saying God's love is limited. I'm not saying His mercy is limited. I'm not saying His forgiveness is limited. Because God is both infinite and eternal. And let me explain those two words in case you've forgotten. Infinite is a measure of how much. And eternal is a measure of how long. One is how much, one is how long. Infinite how much, eternal how long. They're not the same thing. God's love is infinite. 
It's unlimited in quantity, but it's also eternal. It's unlimited in time. Let me illustrate it this way. A groom may say to his bride that he loves her with his whole heart. That's how much he loves her. But she also wants to hear that he will love her until death do us part. That's how long. You don't want a little bit of love till death do us part. And you don't want a lot of love until the honeymoon's over. (laughs) You want both. And God himself gives us both. He's infinite and he's eternal. But he sets limits for us. He has limits. In other words, God sets boundaries for us. And when we cross them, we are in trouble. He's put limits on his creation. And God has put limits on how bad, how immoral the world can be, a nation can be, a person can be, until he intervenes. And in Noah's day, the world had hit God's moral limit. And so God responded with holiness, with mercy, with graciousness, with sadness, with love, with firmness. The creatures had hurt their creator so deeply by their immorality, he said, I won't let you do that anymore. Keep something in that passage in Genesis. We'll come back to it, but turn all the way over to 1 Peter in the New Testament toward the end of the New Testament, where in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says something that was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. It's true today. He actually quotes an Old Testament passage as he writes. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 15, in verse 15, he says, but like the Holy One who called you. That's a name of God, Holy One. It might be good for us in our prayer time to call him Holy One, to be reminded of his purity, his holiness. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Be moral yourselves. Also, in all your behavior, because it is written, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, you shall be holy, for I, God, am holy. That's God's character. That's his person. That's who he is. He's the holy one. So here's the second thing to remember. Any act of immorality, on your notes there, any act of immorality is a direct affront, a direct affront against the very character, the very character and personhood of God. Any act of immorality is a direct affront against the very character and personhood of God. I think we forget that. We feel like we've just broken a rule. No, we've broken God's heart. We've offended Him personally when we are immoral. Think about it. If you're a medical doctor and someone says, I don't believe in doctors. Well, that means they don't believe in you personally. (laughs) They've offended you, not just modern medicine. If someone says, I don't believe in the stay-at-home mom thing. I think they ought to get a job. As if they don't already have the hardest job and the best job on the planet. 
But if someone says that, I don't believe in stay-at-home moms, they're not just saying I don't believe in a theory. They're saying they don't believe in who you are, your personhood, your character. And if you're in the military and someone says, well, I don't believe in the military, they're saying, I don't believe in you. And when we say we don't believe in morality or we change what morality is, or we don't believe in the holiness of God, and we offend Him. We're saying we don't believe in God. We're offending His character. We're offending Him personally. And God has His limits. At some point, He puts up His boundaries and said, I won't offend you. I won't let you offend me anymore. Side note, you should put up boundaries. It's okay to put up boundaries. At some point, you tell someone, you cannot offend me anymore. You are not allowed to speak to me like that. No one in the room have I done this to, but I have hung up to pe- on people on the phone calmly. I said, if you continue to speak to me like that, I will hang up the phone. I have a boundary. You have no right to speak to me. Well, I'm going to click. And they call back. You have no click. <laughs> I can click, 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 click. <laughs> you put up a boundary. And God has put up a boundary. And in the year 1656, Anamundo, God judged dramatically the world, because they had passed the boundary. And then we come to Genesis 6, verse 8. But, the word but changes everything. But Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Don't miss that. Sometimes we feel like we are the last ones on the planet who care about God's moral values. Well, we're not. Noah was. (laughs) Noah was the last man on the planet who still held to God-given, God-directed morality. He was the only one. Immorality had gone mainstream. And any act of immorality is a direct affront against the very character and personhood of God, and Noah wasn't willing to offend God, no matter what everyone else did. But the entire world was against Noah's stand for morality, but Noah. Take that phrase, but Noah, take out Noah's name. Could your name be there? Could your name be there? God looks and says, but, and your name is there. You haven't followed the world. You followed the Lord. And because Noah followed the Lord, it made all the difference. Chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1, then the Lord said to Noah, the only man in the world, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Only one man out of the entire human race is righteous in God's eyes. And this one man literally saved the human race from total extinction by his morality. So that brings us a third thing to remember about not giving up on your morality. Number three, your morality makes a world a difference. Your morality makes a world a difference. It makes a difference in your life and in your core of your being and who you are. It makes a difference to God and in his heart and his soul, how he feels about you and his spirit. When you break God's 
moral code, you are cheating on God himself. And your morality makes a difference for the very survival of our world. Even if all your friends are immoral by God's standards, you must remain moral because your morality makes a difference, just like Noah's did. And the reason that America isn't any worse than it is has less to do with who is in the White House and more to do with what is in your heart. It's the heart of Americans that makes America moral, not its laws. All you have to do is read the Old Testament. God gave the best laws in the world. And all those laws did was expose immorality. They exposed it. Laws don't prevent it. They expose it. I'm not against laws. I think we should have them. We need them to set boundaries. I'm not speaking against that. Don't hear what I didn't say. Okay, But no matter how many laws you have, if the heart isn't moral, the nation is not moral. Be holy, God says. Well, give me one reason. God gives us one reason. Because he is holy. That's why. He is our standard. Immorality may have gone mainstream, but it doesn't need, mean it needs to be in you. You know, we tell the Noah's flood story to our children, and we miss the whole meaning of the story. Noah, he built him, he built him, an arky arky. Noah, he built him, he built him. That's not what the story's about. The story is the world got so immorally bad, God blotted it out, and one moral man save the human race from extinction. Will you be that man? Will you be that woman? Will you be that child? Let's pray. Lord, I may not like what I hear sometimes, but I need to hear it. Lord, we may not like to follow what you say, sometimes, but we need to follow it. Lord, we may not even agree with you sometimes, <laughs> but we need to obey. Lord, help us. As we're praying, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then your sins have not yet been forgiven. And you will spend eternity in a place we call hell because it's filled with people who are evil and immoral in every intent of their heart. But if you'd like to spend a place where morality is holy, where people are always kind and perfect, and you are too, ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to save you and forgive your sins. If you believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, that he rose from the grave and he's conquered death and he offers heaven to all who will accept him, if you understand that and have never invited him into your life, why not right now just cry out to him in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, please, save me. Forgive my sin and immorality. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might walk with you until the day I'm in your presence. 
We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for speaking to us. Give us the power now to obey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.